I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. My guest today is Dan Giusti, the founder of Brigade, which works with K-12 school districts to support and elevate the quality of their child nutrition programs, otherwise known as school food. Dan was formerly the head chef of Noma in Copenhagen, which is at the top of the list of the 50 best restaurants in the world. He left Noma in 2016 and launched a turnaround of the school food program in New London, Connecticut. Now he is working with schools in New York City and across the state and also in Richmond, Virginia. Dan, I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so great to talk with you. It's been a little while. It's been too um, long. That's right. Oh, I know. Well, so I want to start at the beginning to simply provide some context for our listeners. You, yep. you were the head chef at Noma in Copenhagen, which is one of the best restaurants in the world, mm -hmm. serving the who's who that I would imagine <laughs> came there for one of yeah. the best meals in their life. That's right. Yeah. And three, three years in, you decided it was time for a career change and you headed back to the United States to work on school food. Right. Which is, yeah, I love I it. Why did you yeah. do it? It's a big change. Uh, yeah. You know, I think I think like any industry, there's a way that um, kind of is perceived as becoming successful. And uh, I would say once I went to culinary school, I was 18. My whole career was very much geared towards um, getting to the top of this industry, which, again, is very much looked at as the world of fine dining, working in big time restaurants accolades, you know, Michelin stars, or in this case, a list that says what the best restaurant in the world is. Right. Um, and, and I spent, yeah, I spent basically uh, the majority of my career trying to get there. And then I was able to get there. And then you were and, there kind of quickly and, too. Like you just, you just had like a beeline to the best restaurant was, in the world, basically. Yeah, it was pretty quick. I mean, I, I got there when I was like 27. I mean, again, I started, the only thing I've ever done in my life is cooking. Uh, yeah. I started cooking at a young age, 15, and that's all I ever did. And, you know, I worked hard and through a variety of circumstances, I ended up there and I ended up becoming the head chef, which I think was pretty fortuitous. And I, I, I think part of how I ended up in this was that, it, yeah, it did happen pretty quick. And then you kind of catch yourself in this place where you've, you've kind of gotten to where you're, you were set to get to. And then it really starts to make you think like, okay, well, what, what, should I be doing next? And why did I get into cooking in the first place? And uh, I realized that it was not really to work in a place like Noma, not that I have anything against it or restaurants or fine dining. It's just, uh, I think there's a variety of, of ways you can cook and cooking in a restaurant like that, I don't think was why I got into cooking in the first place. So did that, what, did that start to strike you while you were in Copenhagen? Like how, how quickly did you land on school food as your next big thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think I was, you know, a place like that, of course, is very stressful. It wears on you. As you said, you really have people showing up, you know, you have people flying in on, on private jets for lunch from wherever right. just to just to expect the best meal they've ever eaten in their life. And, you know, it wears on you. There's a lot of stress. And, and I'm an ambitious guy. And I would try to meet that expectation every single day. And, and, we would try to meet it as a team. And at some point, 
I would say, you know, after I was there for four years total, I think after about like two and a half years, I started to think about all that stress and all that effort. Uh, was it was it being channeled into the right place? Um, and I started to think about, should I be channeling that energy into doing more to help more people? Um, so the initial idea was really, um, could I cook for more people? Uh, and I think maybe even more importantly, could I cook for people more often? You yeah. know, in a restaurant, you, you know, you're, especially a restaurant like Noma, you're cooking for people once in a lifetime. And even in your average restaurant, you're cooking for people every once in a while. And it's the idea of cooking for people, first of all, who don't necessarily have access to uh, amazing food uh, on a daily basis. Obviously, the people we were catering to at Noma were a very particular group. Um, but again, beyond that, cooking for them all the time and having the opportunity to really impact their lives uh, in a variety of ways through food because you're cooking for them every day. And that's that's initially where the idea started. And I started to think about how how I could do that. And I, I didn't really know where to go from there. And initially, the idea was very much starting some kind of fast casual or fast food restaurant where, you know, we could compete with, say, like a McDonald's where meals would be extremely cheap and and it just seemed something that was like a little insurmountable to compete with uh, those types of places because they're so big. And uh, I quickly realized that maybe that wasn't the way to go. And I, I, I stumbled upon an article on school food, as there have been many. Mm-hmm. And it, it just made me think. And You said, hey, was- this is the largest network of fast casual <laughs> restaurants in the world. Well, yeah. I mean, to some extent, yeah. I, it wasn't, it wasn't that clear straight away, but what struck me was that um, I, I think one thing that really kind of turned me off about the idea of starting, you know, like a fast casual type place or fast food restaurant was also the idea that there's already so much food waste out there. Right. And to start like this giant chain of places that was just making more food seemed very irresponsible. So when I was thinking, when I was reading this article, I was like, man, like going into schools, and actually at that time I was thinking generally, and I still am generally institutions, uh, kitchens mm-hmm. that already exist. So whether they be in a school or a hospital or a senior center, they're already there. There's people already working there. They probably haven't been trained, and they're already serving food every day. It just in most cases, doesn't happen to be great. So it just seemed like a very responsible place to start in terms of um, trying to feed a lot of people because you're just going to go in, you're going to train people, you're going to re-outfit kitchens, and you're going to make food that's already being produced better. So that's that's really where I realized that that's probably the way to go. And then for me, and it still is the case today, going into schools particularly uh, is a place that I'm just extremely interested in for a lot of reasons. So so you, you landed in New, Land, New London, Connecticut, and yeah. it basically helped reform or transform their entire school food program. How much transformation did it need and, and what was it before you got there and what does it look like now? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, because I had been at Noma when I was leaving, um, there was a lot of interest as to what I was doing. People thought it was interesting. So um, many people reached out to me and one of those people was the superintendent of New London Public Schools in New London, Connecticut, which again, it's a very small town. Uh, it's about 25,000 people. I had never even been to Connecticut before. I had no connection to the state, the town, the city, nothing. 
Um, I was just looking for a place to get this going. And obviously starting a business and then having access to a school district, it can be a little challenging. Um, sure. And this gentleman, he reached out to me and it's like, as soon as I got there without really knowing how things were going to go, I, I felt straight away that this was going to be the place to go because he got it. Um, he was very organized. He wanted this. He knew how to get the money together to do something like this. Their food service program already was very organized. They were very much following uh, all the rules. Uh, they were very well respected by the folks at USDA regionally. The food service director was great. She was enthusiastic. Um, it was just a matter that the food itself was very much for the most part, heat and serve. They were doing a few things there where they, you know, things were actually being made. But for the most part, it was a lot of things that were coming out of boxes and food product, I, if you will. Yeah, right. As and opposed I would to say, food. Right, and yeah. and I would say the way I look at it, and this is kind of how I still look at it, is that for someone who's not trained to cook, so this food service director, she's great, and she was doing everything that she could do to run that program as well as possible mm -hmm. without any intervention of someone, say like a chef or someone who is trained to cook. Um, being well, can a we talk chef, about that for just a minute yeah, though? Because there's a whole industry, which is called, which has a name. It's called the K through 12 <laughs> industry, food industry, right? And, right. and big food, PepsiCo, Kraft, um, yeah. Uh, 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 what is the pizza company that I can't think of the name of uh, right now? Domino's. Or Domino's, right? Or <laughs> yeah. So these guys all have branded product in schools yep. across our country, and and yep. and it's it's almost like the industry has shaped the outcome of food for our students, yeah. Because it, it enables a complete lack of knowledge around how you prepare food, how, how you, how you hold ingredients oh, yeah. and right. And so, cause it, it's, you know, it's very much the same way the market catered to women and men who, you know, were both working and taking care of kids and had 12 minutes to prepare dinner back right. in whatever that was, the 60s, 70s, 80s, when all of this pre-boxed, pre-prepared food, um, right. sort of launched onto the market. And, and so the school food industry as a, as a whole, with some beautiful pockets where amazing things are happening across this country. Um, as a whole, the industry very much still relies on opening plastic packaging, putting things on trays and, and heating them. Is that, do you feel like it, that's accurate? I feel like that's accurate. I think, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. And I think what most people don't understand, including, you know, parents who have kids that are attending school, the kids themselves is that the way the, the way everything is set up makes it very challenging. And when I mean everything, you know, from the nutritional guidelines to the budget makes it very difficult. Um, and then combined with that, mostly most schools don't have the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure to really cook. And then you have a staff of people who are very hardworking, who've been there for a long time, who probably haven't received training. All right. those things combine to make this very difficult. And the task of cooking seems almost impossible. And I, I think you're right. A lot of the companies you just mentioned, you know, they, they, they really focus on that and say, look, we can help you serve kids food without having to worry about cooking. Um, so they're recognizing the, the challenges and then they, you know, a lot of companies have kind of swooped in to say, well, we'll make it easy for you to get this done. 
Uh, but Brigade's then, taken a different there. tact, right? Brigade said, okay, we're going to bring chefs into your schools and, right. and help you use real ingredients to provide yeah. nourishing meals to our kids. So it's, that's, that is your strategy, right? Is to help right. that, like get to that extra mile and really deliver beautiful, delicious, healthful food to, to yeah. the kids that are served yeah. by the partners that you have in, in schools across the country. Correct. I, I think, you know, for me, the whole idea was, okay, it's a kit. There's kitchens. I mean, again, not every school in the country is a kitchen, of course, right. but a lot of schools have some semblance of a kitchen. Um, there are people there. There's, there, there is a very tight budget. There are nutritional guidelines. It's not easy, but I think my, my strategy from the get-go was like, look, it's hard for us to advocate, say, for a bigger budget or advocate for really any change within the system unless we can really understand what we can get out of this system. And, you know, we realize that by putting chefs in these schools and whether they're there permanently or whether they're there for a temporary period of time to train staff and, and, and try to get them to understand certain recipes, we realize that you can really uh, improve the quality of food that's being served to students, regardless of if you have this piece of equipment or that piece of equipment. There's There are a lot of steps that can be taken, some simpler than others, some more mm. complicated, right. that you really can improve the quality of meals. And we've seen that. It can happen. And, um, and, and again, kids will still eat it? <laughs> yeah. And of course, yeah, of course they will. And I mean, you have right. to learn what that... Uh, we I'm being facetious. Have, we, but that's, the, could, that's yeah, the question we get. Like, that's is that one? This got to be one of the most the questions you get most often. Is will they yeah. eat it? Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's annoying. It's it's it, it, and don't get me wrong because we've had our share of uh, of meals that we've served that kids didn't eat. But sure. yeah, of course, if food tastes good, kids are going to eat it, and that's the thing. And like, that's where I feel like people miss the point. You know, kids, if food tastes good, kids will eat it. It's not about like. Oh, if it's this, that, or if it's like this, you know, of course, if you serve Domino's pizza, kids are going to be like, oh, it's Domino's pizza. That sounds good. But it doesn't mean you can't, like, we make pizza, kids enjoy it. We make other things, kids enjoy it. It's just, you know, like anyone else, it's not so much, I feel like people get caught up with it, that they're kids. Like, it's not that they're just kids. Right. It's, you know, I think if you looked at the kids and then you looked at their parents, they probably have relatively similar eating habits. It's just a lot of the way that this whole thing has to work, that it makes it, yeah, you know, it's just also challenging to just cater to a whole group of people that have to eat the same place every day. I think that's one of the biggest challenges as well. Well, so d- d- or are there are there similarities that you have found between being the head chef at Noma and the work that Brigade does in school kitchens? Yeah, definitely. I think that first of all, I truly feel that working in food service is working in food service, no matter if it's at Noma or no matter if it's in a school kitchen. I think that you just have very different parameters in which you're working. And so your kitchens look very different. Uh, Your customers might be paying a lot more or paying a lot less or not paying at all. Uh, You have a different amount of time constraint in which you can serve the food or which people have to eat the food. I mean, there's just a variety of constraints. I think when it really comes down to it though, you can put the same amount of effort into it. You know, making this very obscure avant-garde dish at Noma uh, might take a, a lot of work, but there's no reason that you can't put the same effort into making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It just right. comes down to what, how you feel about it, because in the end, obviously there's more pressure on you and higher expectation uh, of what you make at a restaurant where people are paying a lot of money versus in a school where kids, they're kids, first of all, and maybe they're not paying much, they're not paying at all. 
but that's the biggest problem. And that's why we get to where we are because it's the idea that, well, this food's free or these are kids. So what does it really matter? And they can't say anything or do anything and they have no choice anyway. Obviously when you're in a restaurant, people choose and they just don't show up again. Where yeah. kids, you can serve them food over and over again. That's terrible. And guess what? They have to show up again the next day and, and deal with it. So <laughs> you, you, you have to put the pressure on yourself more so than maybe people putting the pressure on you. And I think that's, a, that is a big difference between the two. You know, was, I was, I was preparing for this and I was watching, rewatching really some, um, clip video clips, different news, um, articles that have been done about you over the years. Uh -huh. And, um, so, you know, in the video clips, it's, it's very obvious that you and the other chefs at Brigade, um, bring a lot of love into these situations in which you work as well. And so do you, do you feel like that's an ingredient that really changes how kids, um, interact with food? I, I think it might be, it could be the most important ingredient, to be honest. I think that, um, and, and actually this is, it's funny you asked that too, because I, I also feel like this is a, a really, one of the main similarities between the work that we did at Noma as well, because like, let me just paint a picture. So at Noma, we would, we would serve these like crazy, you know, some of the stuff we served there was like way out there. Like, for example, one of the dishes that was on the menu right before I left was beef tartare. So raw beef on a plate that was like shaped into like a rectangle that was seasoned with ants, like the bug ants. And it was wow. just like lots of ants. So you had this like stark red rectangle on a plate literally just covered in black ants and you know wait wait you, sidebar hold on did you grow the ants or did you go out and collect no. the ants so we would collect the ants so just just oh just God. on a, a quick okay. tangent so the whole point of the ants produce formic acid as a method of defense when they're under attack and in some ants that formic acid tastes uh, or resembles other flavors so in this case uh citrus and huh. so in, in being very local and, you know, this whole idea of being very local and seasonal, like hyper local and seasonal in, in Copenhagen, we were, we didn't use lemons because obviously lemons are not in, indigenous to Scandinavia. So finding other ways to, to put acid into a dish, we would season things with ants at the time. <laughs> so, amazing. so, you know, so we would serve this dish and don't get me wrong out of the 12 tables that we would serve on a daily basis. You know, a lot of these people, they would eat around all the time and they're used to seeing like a lot of crazy stuff, but some people weren't. And one of the things that we did at Noma, I think that made it special was that the chefs served the majority of the food and the chefs came from all around the world as our guests came from all around the world. And it was very easy for us to put a chef who maybe understood really where these people were coming from in terms of how they would react to these dishes and just talk to them, put the mm. dish down, maybe joke about it, talk about it. And it was just so integral to making people's experiences. And that's where it's so similar with kids. It's just the same thing. Like you can't serve dishes that kids aren't used to and then just expect them to take it and then just eat it and enjoy it. It's like having the ability to make them feel comfortable, to talk to them, really get them to trust you. And like that can happen in a variety of ways. And when we first started, we were very robotic. It was like we would go out there every day in the cafeteria. We'd talk to them. How's the food? How's the food? How's the food? It was always just about the food. And then we realized, you know, let's just become friends with these kids. Let's just talk to them. Just say, you know, how's, the, you know, how's, how's soccer going? How was your weekend? And then they, you know, then they'll talk to you about the food. They'll say, hey, you know, I ate this. It, and it will be, it, it will be constructive. Authentic, you know, uh, authentic to, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it won't just be like, oh, this is gross. It'll be like, you know what? I ate this today and I didn't really like it that much. And this is because, because now they, they, they you're a person. Now they are associating. I think anytime you associate a person or people with food, it becomes a very different thing. It's not just this meal that came from wherever. Because right. all of a sudden now That's it's right. like, all right, well, I, I, you know, April, the chef, I really like her and, and she's in charge of this kitchen and this food wasn't great today, but because I like her, I'm going to talk to her in a certain way versus just saying this is lousy. You know, it's a very different interaction. And I think that's what we always try to create whenever we can. Yeah. And there, and there's training in that way. You talked a little bit about the lack of training um, that is provided yeah. for these um, really amazing people who spend their time working in our school cafeterias. Um, but, but that sort of training and, and, um, it's hard to navigate sometimes conversations with kids. And, and so it's important. Those, those pieces are so critical to the overall delivery system of of food in our country. I I agree. I agree. And I think it's also about giving them, giving those folks the encouragement that this is what they should be taking their time to do. Like that's important. I think most, most cafeteria staff like like the opportunity to speak to kids. That's one of the best parts of the day. Yeah. But I feel like the way we set it up, set up this whole idea is about just being efficient, getting the food served, getting the kids sat. It's not so much about really making it a pleasant experience the for experience, them. So yeah. I don't think they feel very encouraged at times to speak to the children. Uh, and I think that's what we need to be better at, you know. I totally agree. So there are there are over 50 million Americans aged four to 18 in public schools in America. And there's another five and a half million or so in private schools. And and you focus your work, Brigade's work, on the 31 million Americans who attend public schools that also receive um, either free or reduced subsidies um, in in school food. And why did you decide to focus your work there? Uh, Well, you know, I think as much as I... I do feel that everyone, you know, every kid deserves a good meal. We definitely wanted to focus on, um, you know, the, the kids that need it most. Um, yeah. These kids in most cases. And, and I will say that when I first got into it, as much as I understood to a certain extent how, um, how many and how much kids rely on these meals in schools, right. uh, I don't think I really got it. And then when we started working in New London, um, it was very evident that there was a, a lot of kids that were not eating much outside of school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were serving, we're serving breakfast, we're serving lunch and supper and how their kids that that that's pretty much what they eat. Um, they're, they're not eating much at home. And if they are, uh, it could be junk food or, you know, you never know. I mean, we've, right. we've seen scenarios where we have kids stealing. We would see kids stealing sandwiches uh, to take home to their family. I mean, you right. see a lot of heartbreaking stuff, a lot of right. things that make you really think about what's going on. You know, yeah. you know, I, I, it, it particularly concerns me right now. Everything you said concerns me all the time. But but right now, while school has gone virtual and yeah. we are relying on delivery systems that look so different across the country. I, you know, where we obviously are focused in Boston, where, um, we, we have turned entirely to a third party and are not using any of the kitchens to produce any of the meals that are being handed out. And we're not hitting nearly the same number of students who we do 
when we're in school. We're, we're yeah. a fully, full, you know, free uh, school food program. It, 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 right. and, and we're about to head through the summer and into the fall, and the fall is not predictable yet in terms of, of what the situation is going to be there. And food insecurity is just it's just raging um, in terms of its prevalence, especially in the communities um, where we both work. And so it really worries me that we are not uh, being more creative about how we use this amazing program that's already in place, you know, with the USDA to, to reach, to reach and maximize um, value. I mean, because the other thing that's driving me crazy is how many cheese sticks are going out the door. Every a lot day. of cheese sticks. A lot of right now. A lot of yeah, the cheese sticks are fine, but like it, it really right. is not. Should not be the basis of no. Of, uh, I mean, meal. a lot of the meals. A lot of the meals that are going out now during this time because just because logistically things have become much more challenging are kind of like bags of bags. You right. know, it's like bags of things and other bags, and like right. that's just. Don't get me wrong. It's challenging, and there's this idea, and like we're even struggling with it with the idea of. You know, I feel like even though this work is very difficult all the time, this time right now with with quarantine has put things into perspective that like during the course of the year, we kind of have have the luxury to at least work towards pushing the quality of all of our meals. Whereas now we need to look at it and think about like, are we being foolish by trying to make this from scratch and that from scratch versus saying like having less people work? because it's not really safe for them to be working. Right. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be balanced out, but I agree with you. It's, it, it is very concerning at the moment that, uh, like you said, during the school year, you have all these kids that you know you're feeding that rely on these meals. And then now during this period and then going to the summer, you are just through numbers, sheer numbers, feeding way less kids. And it makes you really think like what's happening to the other kids. You know, that's, that's right. And, and among other things, you know, we know that there's an overlapping effect between chronic disease and um, COVID and the effects of COVID-19. And, you know, the, to go back to the, this 50 million Americans number, you know, so students in our country out of what, like about 330 million Americans that, who are fed at or through school feeding programs every day. So right now they're the least sick among us, but still about 18 to 20 percent of them suffer from a chronic disease, our, our yeah. students, right? And, and so diabetes, asthma, obesity, that's compared to all of us over 18, where about half of us in America suffer from at least one chronic disease. And, yeah. and about 40% of us are overweight or obese. And, and we know all of these things um, are tied to food, that food has an underlying effect on, on right. chronic disease. It's, it just seems to me like if we, if we really want to take this seriously, this, this epidemic of chronic disease in, in America, school cafeterias would be the ideal place for an intervention, especially if you believe, and even Hippocrates believed this, that, that food is medicine. We, we already have this, what, 16 plus billion dollar program that the USDA yeah. funds currently for school breakfast and lunch. If we could just shift how we are feeding, what we are feeding our kids and the way in which, right? Because I think love is a part, part of it. Um, our, our students across the country, it, it just feels like we would shift some other dynamics that are really kind of hacking away at our society in general. I, I, don't, I don't know if you agree with that, but to me, it feels like it's- 100%. It's a, yeah. I, I 100% agree with it because I think you're addressing a variety of things. And you know, my thought on all of this always has been, you know, we're like, we work in food, 
uh, my career, my whole life. I'm, I'm a chef. I can cook food. That's, that's what I can do. And, you know, when I think of kids holistically growing up and spending however many years they're going to spend in a public school, it's a lot of time they're spending in school. And that's a very formative time for them. And, and aside from even just health and nutrition, just the idea of really taking care of these kids. Um, and that's what they deserve. You know, they're spending all this time in school and it's like, are they getting everything they should be getting? Is it, is it clear to them that there is a society that cares about them that's trying to take care of them? And right. in some places, I really just don't think that, that feeling exists. I've gone into a number of schools uh, across the country and some schools you go into, it's like, wow, you really mm -hmm. feel it. You feel that the people in that school really care and everything's happening. And everyone's showing up every day to make sure that those kids feel comfortable, they feel safe, they're learning, they're getting educated. And, and obviously that goes into the cafeteria, how cafeterias are set up, the food that's being served. And then in some schools, you really feel it. It's just not the case. It's like, uh, you know, you go in there and it's cold. You feel it straight away. It's very uninviting. And, um, and that's sad to see because, again, particularly for the kids that are probably dealing with things that they shouldn't be dealing with at their age and the stresses that kids face these days, particularly. And then they have to come to school where it's not inviting either. It, it's a shame. Like you just, you wonder how many kids are really just having a real tough go at life. In general. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's right. And I think that that, I, you know, I, I walk in and out of schools, um, all day long too. And it's interesting when you start to look up the correlative data between the schools where you don't feel the love and the energy doesn't feel right and the results even academically sure. um, at those at those schools. And so, um, we, you know, we know, you know, and I know both from firsthand experience that even in the same district, there can be a variety of different ways that um, we address our students and, and those students needs. And, um, it's real, it's just so critically important to, to me that we, we see much more uniformity at, at a really high caliber level, both in terms of school food and in terms of academics. And, you know, to go back to the 31 million students that brigade is focused on. So mm -hmm. these are, these are, these are students who primarily are in cities Right. So so right. the environment is our nation's highest poverty schools. Um, they serve breakfast and lunch at no cost. Most of the students in those schools, the majority are at this point are black or brown and poor. And right. it, it, and it and like we just talked about, most of those schools are flooded with product that is coming from big food companies who are basically getting paid by the USDA because the subsidies coming in, in on one side, it's the foods going into the stomachs of our children and the money yep. is going out and feeding big food. And, and you know yep. what? I don't blame government for this one. I, I think it's actually much more local. I, I blame the school boards I, and I, the I superintendents. Agree. Yeah. I mean, because you talk I, about having a caring superintendent who called you and said, will you, will you help me transform yep. this the way I want to? There are plenty who are not, do not have that call to action. It is not on their list of things we need to do to take care of our, our students. But, but talk about your experience with that, because I'm sure you've spoken to just reams of superintendents and school boards at this point. Yep. I, I, Joe, I don't think there's probably, I, unfortunately, I don't think there's enough people who have that same feeling as you do. I agree with it 100%. And I talk about it all the time because 
it's a it's a common question for people to say to ask me like well what how do you think the system should change and so like should there be more you know a higher budget should the nutritional guidelines change and i said yeah like don't get me wrong like having more money that would be great but with that said i just personally feel that the majority of school districts out there are not properly utilizing the budget that they already have right. and they're not really doing as much as they can to make the best product possible for their kids. And so like, if you gave them an extra dollar, would that necessarily mean that the food got better? Probably not. Right. It, it no, might just mean not. that things would get, it would probably just mean things would get easier for them. Uh, or you, or know, you could like, get tater tots I, I, every day instead of two days right. a week. I mean, right? right. It doesn't change a thing. If you're, if your strategy, no, right. yeah. Right. It's just decisions. It's just decisions. And, you know, I always look at things like it's like priority as well. Like, I think what a lot of people don't know um, is this idea that the, the food service programs in many places are completely self-sufficient. Uh, they're not receiving any money from the general fund of the school district. In some cases, they are. Um, regardless, that's a decision that needs to be made. And I personally feel that school districts, the general budget should be supporting food service uh, in, in some shape or fashion. But in, in a lot of places, you're on kind of an island. And right. that's right. You can, you can be a food service director. And as a food service director, you're overseeing a whole bunch of schools. You're probably not a chef of any kind. You're making menus, you're managing a big staff of people. Uh, physically, you have a whole bunch of schools to oversee, which of course you can't get to all of those schools. I mean, the job is set up to be extremely challenging. And outside of being financially supported or not financially supported, you're usually just not receiving much support at all. And you are on an island. And when I speak to superintendents, I mean, I'll be honest, when I, when I showed up in New London and he, and the superintendent was amazing. He, the first day I showed up there, he had all the, the kind of the, the bigger administrators within the district in one room. And we talked about school food. And he was like, this is the first time we've ever talked about school food. He was very open about it. And, you know, it, it, that's not surprising. It's just at the bottom of the list mm -hmm. when it comes to issues that need to be addressed in a school. And, and strangely enough, right now is the most time as we kind of have conversations with different school districts around the country is, is the most prominent I've ever seen the idea of food in a school featured in conversations. Because why, why do you think that is? <laughs> because, well, because, you know, it's funny because when you think of school, school serves a variety of purposes. I think when people think of school, they think of school being a place where kids go for education. Well, yes. school is a place where kids get education. School is a place where they are physically so their parents can go to work and right. they don't need to get childcare. And school is a place where kids get fed. Right. And it's super important. And now all of a sudden it's just been thrusted into these people's faces. Like, okay, like we need to make sure kids get fed. It's like, right. okay, well, like there's a lot important. of, yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, there are a lot of kids during the school year that need to get fed. But the thing is the difference is the, the way they think about it. They're really thinking about things as, and a lot of people have this view about school food across the country they have actually institutional food in general. You think of food in schools or food in senior centers, it's all the same thing. As long as it is, you know, in quotes, nutritious, meets the nutritional guidelines and is like palatable mm -hmm. to, some, to some extent, that's okay. Like that is okay to most right. people. It's not about really putting anything into it beyond. It's more of 
like it's really like the necessity of food. Like anything beyond that um, is like maybe a little extra. It's right. like luxury, you know, exactly. if you will. And, and, and I always use the quote when I first started, I, I will never, ever, ever forget this. And it's, and it puts things into perspective so well. When we first started New London and they approved, the school board approved the idea of, of bringing us in. And this is a tiny town uh, that, that evening on their local newspaper's website, there was like 80 comments, which is crazy because just to have that many comments on any newspaper is crazy, let alone this small local newspaper. And one of them right. was, and don't get me wrong, they blew, you know, they blew it out of proportion in terms of what was happening. Like, oh, the chef from the best restaurant in the world. And this, But this guy said, why don't we just send our kids to school in limousines? Because it was just this idea of like putting chefs in schools and cooking food from scratch seemed so extra and so extraneous to this guy that he felt the need to say we should just send our kids to school in limousines. And that yeah. to me sums it up of how people think about it. You know? That's right. Well, because, because no one wants to dig in, right? No one wants to, no. to acknowledge, you know, what, um, that, like all of the different layers to this, right? That, that our kids are suffering on, on multiples of levels that they really, school is such an anchor for so many of them that provides them food, it provides them shelter, so it provides important. them mental health support, it provides them, lo- it provides them love. And all of those things, you're right, are becoming so much more apparent um, during this crisis. It's interesting to me that our school committee meeting, the superintendent's report opens up every um, session now with a report on food and technology. Yeah. Those are, those that, are things that would have never been at the top of a superintendent's report. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's amazing. And, and you know, when you say that, I, I also want to make a point because I think it's important to think about that. I always put this in perspective, like, cause it, cause unfortunately sometimes it actually literally comes down to these types of decisions when it comes to money. It's like, would as a parent, like, would you prefer that the kids are eating better or would you prefer that they have like, the newest state-of-the-art technology you know right. like obviously kids should get both kids, right. kids should get everything but unfortunately across the country because of the way budgets are and budgets seemingly continue to go down and get cut in school districts it, you know people are, are made to make these choices and it's really you know all it really comes down to is what do you value That's what do right. you value most and food somehow even though i feel like when you speak to people most people really do value food and, and what it does to you or, or how it helps you or how it doesn't help you. But somehow it always ends up at the bottom in terms of value. And then right. we're, we're prioritizing other things. That's right. Yeah, I, I do think it is difficult for people to think about this place that is supposed to be a place of learning as something that is much more like a place of surround care. And that, you right. know, it, it really, unless you have a holistic approach to the development of a human you don't see how all of the things are intertwined, that a student who's not well-fed is not going to perform well. A, a student who is is not calm and centered is not going to perform well, that academic outcomes are intrinsically tied to the supports that we provide for our students. And, right. and we have created a system that is deeply inequitable. Well, that's a, the, the other thing. And, and think about all the, think about all the parents that, they're sending their kids to school with lunch because they've, they've given up on school lunch. They have no idea. They, they could even be parents. We see it all the time. We be parents in a school district that has made huge strides in terms of what they're offering in the cafeteria. And they have no idea what's going on. 
They don't right. care. They're, they're, they're sending their kids to school with lunch anyway. So when it comes to voting on different things, uh, they don't care about school lunch. Why would they care about school lunch? It's not for their kid. That's they, right. they can they can afford to send school lunch. They they just send their kid with lunch, and it doesn't really matter. So like that that when we talk about inequities, a lot of it has to do with that too, because there's just so many parents that could care less. They 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 don't think about everything. They're just thinking about their kid. And like, look, in the end, I understand. Okay, you know, obviously the most important person in that school is going to be your child or your children. But you know, thinking about the whole, the whole system. And it's like, no, like school lunch isn't that important to me. So why should we put more money into that? Because I send my kid, I pay for my kid's school lunch anyway. I, I send to the school with it. So who cares? You know, I completely agree with you. And, and I, but you know, I don't know, we should talk more about this um, after the show because yeah. I, I feel like the time is now, right. That this, I, agree. I think that people are starting to understand that this is you know, it's, this is foundational for every human. Um, it's why quite honestly, we're spending so much time thinking about food right now and can say the the work that we're doing right now with the state, just to think about how do we make sure that everyone has the food that they need. There are so many families across our state and across the country that rely on those two meals a day or three meals a day from the school as part of their right. overall calculus, um, for feeding their families. Um, so I think I think it's a good time for our work, at least, Dan. Um, and you've I proven, agree. right? Brigade has proven that it, even within the current USDA budget, you can put fresh, delicious, student-centered, respectful of cultural preferences meals on the table for them. And so can you talk a little bit about how folks in the community, folks on school boards, superintendents, mayors, how... What should they be doing if they want to yeah. see the shift in their own city or town? I mean, I think first of all, and it's sad to say that this has to happen first, but I think they need to know what's even happening. You know, I think if you asked, I mean, forget about the mayor. I feel like you get that high. Most most, most mayors probably have no clue um, what's going on in terms of school food service. But, Not the mayor of Boston. Like, he no, eats our broccoli, I mean, but yes, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, you guys, you have a, you guys have a very good situation there. I think when it comes down to even superintendents, there's a lot of superintendents who don't really even know what their food service really is all about, how it works. Um, so, really, first and foremost, having the leaders within a particular community understand how the food service works. And then I think understanding what the perception of that food, really understanding, not just like, oh, you get the occasional complaint or, you know, you hear this comment or that comment. Most people don't even set foot in the cafeteria. Talking to students, having having groups of people, uh, focus groups with parents, focus groups with students to really not to get just criticism, but just to understand, like, what's going on? Are people happy? Yeah. Yeah. How many people rely on these meals? I think that's really the first thing is to understand what's happening. And bringing everybody to the table, including very importantly, the food service director, to understand like where are you at with this, and how do you feel, and 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 then from there, make a plan. And that plan can be a variety of things. That plan could be to do everything internally. That plan could be to start working with an outside group to help them in different capacities, similar to how we work with people. But have a plan. And like when we go into districts, we've partnered traditionally with school districts that this is how they operate. You know, mm -hmm. we as much as we want to help everyone, we're not in a position to go into a district that's really not looking at this as an important thing. 
uh, as long as the district is really organized and looking at this in an important way, that's a place where we want to go. Um, but a lot of districts that we've, we've had some districts say, hey, we want to work with you. And then you kind of go and visit. And, and you know, the, 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 the people that make decisions aren't really on the same page in terms of this being a priority. Um, no one's really done the work. Like there needs to be a certain level of work done to understand what's actually happening. And I think that's the starting point. And I think people will see, and I think what I never understand is that how superintendents or mayors, whoever it may be, don't see that if they invest, whether it's time or focus or money into the food service program, how far that goes for everyone. That's right. And it re- it's really a big deal. And like, even like, let's, let's get petty and say, even from a political standpoint, right. I mean, it's just a very good thing to do. I mean, it's the right thing to do. Of course, that's most important, but it's just, it, it kind of lifts everybody up. People are like, wow, they're really it, trying to make it, food better. I agree. I agree. It, it does, it does change. It, I mean, people love food, right? It's, I mean, yeah. the, the art of it is what, you know, makes everyone so happy. And so when a school pays attention to food, it, it really does lift up the, the entire um, organization. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I just so, don't understand why people don't put more focus on it for that reason in itself, you know? Uh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, superintendents aren't measured on it. It, it really... Well, that's a good point. That's a it, good point. You know, they're measured on attendance and they work really hard at driving that number down. They're not measured on the quality of their food. And um, maybe they should be. You know, maybe that's where we should be spending some time, Dan. Yeah, that's true. If cities or towns want to engage brigade, how how do they access you and your wisdom and your team? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we're pretty open to anyone, you know, people contact us. But the first thing that we do, and the first thing that I'm very set on is when we are contacted, it's, it's kind of like, you can get contacted by a variety of people. And I won't lie, usually, we are getting contacted, the, the, the group we're most contacted by our parents. And what I always tell parents is that, you know, we're not going to come into your school district, because you're asking us to come to your school district. You need to engage community leaders. You need to engage the people that make these decisions and make sure they feel good about this. And then we come in and I think, you know, my advice would be that, you know, again, you need to get everybody on board with this. And mm-hmm. if you bring somebody in under the, the idea that things are not good uh, in your school district, you need to make sure that everyone's on the same page about what's wrong and where it needs to go. It needs to be constructive. Um, you can't be brought into an environment where it's like you have people saying like, this isn't good. And then you have to work with these people and these people think it is good and people are taking offense to this and it's a problem. So uh, you need to have a group of people on the same page to engage change. Um, and we're not going to come in and, and kind of mediate between a variety of parties. We're an outside group. We come in, we want to work with a team of people who's motivated to make change. So when people contact us, you know, these are the first questions we ask. It's like, who are you? Who are you talking to? Have you had these conversations before? Is this just, you know, like, because oftentimes it's someone who's seen a newspaper article or something sure. on TV about us and just contacts us. And, and that's great. But we're usually going to go back to them and say, okay, like, what conversations have you had? And, 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 and that works sometimes. We kind of give them direction as to who to engage and who to talk to and how to do it. And then, and then for them to come back to us. But then other times we have people come to us and they've had the conversation, they've had the plan in place and now they're looking for help. And usually those are the most successful conversations we have, but you know, we're open to talking to anyone, anyone and anywhere. I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do. 
and you're ready to engage at the point that they're ready to transform truly. That, that's where your talents are. That's the other thing. We, we realize that that's how we should be working with people. In the beginning, yeah. we were very much set on working with people and working with school districts in a very specific way, kind of like this is exactly how we want school food to look like. And, and you know, over time, we've realized that every school is different. Every school district's different. Everyone has different needs. And in the end, the whole point of what we do is to help people. So yeah. we should be, it should be the other way around. We shouldn't be, I mean, we do ask that school districts do kind of do a certain amount of work to kind of, uh, kind of get in line with the way we're thinking about things. But ultimately it's the other way around. We look at what yeah. they're doing, where their goals are, where they want to go and then cater to that. Amazing. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. I could talk to you forever, but maybe I'll talk thank to you, you yeah. afterwards. But thank you so much for thank joining you, us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dan Giusti, world-class chef and founder of Brigade. If you believe that the food that you eat is important to your health, you're right. And getting school food right is critically important to the success of our youth and our country. You can follow Dan's work on Instagram. He's dan.juisty, spelled G-I-U-S-T-I, and at chefsbrigade.com. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your friends. Have a great day.